Thanks for tuning into the e-commerce fuel podcast, the show dedicated to helping seven figure plus store owners build incredible businesses and amazing lives. I'm Andrew Darian, and today on the show, we're talking about how to build a food brand online. If you look at the trends, independent food sellers, even when you when you strip out things like you know Amazon Pantry and you know online grocery order, all this kind of stuff, more and more brands are selling directly to the consumer interesting interesting food brands they've built from the ground up, uh, independent food brands. And going to be chatting with one such company today, and that's MissionMeats.co. Uh, their co-founder. Peter Awad is joining me, a good friend, a guy I like to, you know, we, we love to joke around. You're going to notice there's going to be a, a lot of a lot of giving each other a hard time in this episode, which is, I don't know, that's my idea of a good time. So we have fun doing that. So a lighthearted episode, but really diving into, you know, how do you build a food brand? And specifically, we talk about how much of his business is driven by a subscription. Can you, you know, is that a crucial element for doing something like this? How do you advertise food? That's a harder thing. Food sometimes is really hard to make look good. How do you do that? Is Amazon a decent place for an independent food brand? How do you think about distribution in a world where most traditional food is, there's, there's a, tons of middlemen. Is it worth going through that route? Or do you just scrap them all and go direct to consumer? What do margins look like? How do you make the stuff? How do you source the stuff? What kind of liability do you have? All sorts of stuff we talk about. And then also at the end, uh, we leave this for the end because I realize this is probably not going to be of interest to everybody, but, but Peter and I both have made some pretty life-changing moves over the last two or three years. And we met each other three or four years ago, uh, kind of in the middle of both contemplating this. And we just talk about kind of our journey there. So if you're if you are not happy with where you were living or you were contemplating a move and it's slightly terrifying like it was for both of us, uh, stick around in the the last you know quarter of the episode or so where we kind of dive into that. So fun episode, really enjoy it. Hope you do as well. I want to give a big thank you before we dive in though to the team over at Clavio who helps brands build relationships across any distance delivering email marketing moments your customers are going to appreciate, remember, and share in good times and the bad. It's all driven by real-time e-commerce data. So what customers have bought, what they haven't bought, what they've seen on your site, what they haven't seen. So you can personalize every interaction at scale to make it seem very, very personal. That sounds interesting. You can get started with a free trial at clavio.com forward slash ECF. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash ECF. And then secondly, brought to you by e-commerce fuel capital, bringing world-class mentorship and capital to your e-commerce business. What is this? It's a group of, I went out and tried to find the smartest people that I could in e-commerce, people that had boatloads of experience with, with Facebook advertising and product design and email marketing and bring them all in one place so that they can help businesses grow. So if you're looking for not just money, but people who actually can help you and lend advice and lend world-class networks to what you're trying to do, check out our team and see how we can help. You can see the whole roster of Hoover on board and learn more about us at capital.ecommercefuel.com. All right, let's get into it with my friend, Peter Awad from Mission Meets. Peter, I hear you sell meat sticks online. I do, I do. At ECF Live too. At <laughs> ECF Live. You were the guy in the corner with the booth and a little hat, like hawking them to everyone that would go by. You're like, meat stick, get your meat stick, organic, <laughs> free range. Was that was that you, right? That wasn't the other meat stick. That was, that was me. That was me. And I was, I was also that awkward guy that had like a meat stick in his back pocket and I was just like <laughs> handing him out. So that was me. Yeah, I saw people. Yeah, it was a little awkward, but delicious meat sticks. So they made up for it. Yeah, how's, what's the quick origin story here? How did your, your business partner... Nick, who we intentionally excluded from this call because he's my, my, you know, I like to give him a hard time about everything, even though I've only really had like two meaningful conversations with the guy. 
Yeah. What's the story about how you guys started this? Yeah, man. So Nick and I knew each other through our wives and they were like a church group or something like that together. Before that, man, I, I was just kind of infatuated with the idea of having a mission focused company and then also having a business where you could build like some serious rapport with your customer base and that, you know, just had kind of like kind of a high frequency, you know, repeat rate. And I paired that with the fact that I just love meat snacks, man. And so it was an idea kind of sparked by helping a friend that was also in the kind of the meat industry. And so Nick and I were talking one day and it turned out that he also was looking to start a company that was mission-based. He also wanted to do something in meat snacks. The guy's got a degree in sustainable agriculture, just a a stand-up dude, really, really has a great, uh, strong background in uh, supply chain. And so it just was clear, uh, you know, once we started talking about it, that we um, both had a vision for a very similar company. The rest is history. That's really cool. And you started it what year? 2015. 2015. Okay. So you mentioned the recurring model aspect of it. How, how much of your business is driven by subscription? I wonder about this for anyone in the food space. Like, could you survive without the subscription model? Does that make up three, you know, two thirds of your revenue? And, and how big of a role does that play in the business? Yeah. Yeah. So I look at it kind of in similar buckets where it's subscription, but then also just the repeat customer rate. So folks that have ordered more than one time and that's in roughly the 45% range. And so could we survive on just that? Yes. But that would make for not as, ex- as exciting a business, right? Because I just love marketing. I love customer acquisition. I love, you know, kind of shouting meat sticks from the rooftop. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds weird, doesn't it? As, so, as, as everyone at live was able to tell. <laughs> full that's right. That's right. That's right. I, by the way, I, I never got your check for the booth on that. Is, is, who should I oh, talk to about that? It's in, the, it's in the mail, man. So you don't have to talk to anybody. It's just, it's on its way. It, you, said it, you said that three weeks ago, though. Are you, are you playing me here? Oh, never. I would never do that. I'll call Nick. Maybe he's more trustworthy than I think. <laughs> you should call Nick. He won't even answer your phone call. <laughs> uh, so how do you... Sorry, man, we probably lost half the podcast audience at this point. You talk about... So advertise, so, so subscription and re- repeat business makes up like almost half of the business, which is really impressive. How do you advertise a food product like this? Like it's a new, it's a new brand you're coming out with. Meat Six, buying Meat Six online. Obviously, you guys have done very well with it but not your traditional e-commerce business and how, like what works well? Like, you know, guess I was, I was trying to think about this from an organic perspective and I'm guessing you've used, used a lot of paid. Well, I'll just let you tell me what's, how have you gone to market something like this? Cause it's a little different. It's very different. It's very different. I, I mean, you know, clearly we're on Amazon and I feel like we're number one rated. I always kind of shout that out. I don't know how you validate that, but we're killing on Amazon. But then also, I feel like we've done a really, really good job as once people are coming in that we've got them on SMS and we've got them on email and we're, you know, we've got the Live Your Mission podcast. Like We, we kind of keep you hooked in and we're bringing you content and we're bringing new flavors all the time. And so we keep people there. But on new customer acquisition specifically, it's just it's paid, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's social, whether it's organic or paid on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then also, we, we, I feel like we crush it on Amazon ads because that's my responsibility. <laughs> and so all, all those different avenues. But, but how do you, I mean, so, so the channels make sense, but how do you message that kind of stuff? Like, are you doing, how do you message foods? Do you have pictures of like Nick on the beach with the wind going through his hair and, and him something, you know, him wearing something revealing and taking just like a huge bite out of the, <laughs> out of the, out of one of the mission meat sticks, the seagulls, like, or like, how do you, how do you, for someone who's never seen the brand, what's, what kind of creative and messaging are you using? And I'm guessing it's not Nick on the beach in a, in a dupe. It's, it's Nick and Fabio together, <laughs> um, is what I envisioned just now when you were talking. 
No, dude. I mean, so just like any other product, you're marketing the benefits, right? It's not the features, although people are really excited that it's sugar, you know, doesn't have any sugar added and there's, there's no like artificials, no unpronounceables and stuff like that. But it's all the benefits, right? And what's interesting about the business, but also makes it very, very difficult is that it, it really can be consumed by any carnivorous human being, right? And so if you're a busy mom, we're going to have a messaging that's that's kind of catered towards you, keeping you know snacks in your kids' mouth so they can't complain about things, right? If you're <laughs> into fitness, we're going to talk about CrossFit and we're going to talk about the protein levels, right? If you're just a busy executive and you want to like not cheat in between meals and you can keep it at your desk, we're going to talk about that. And so it's all the benefits depending on the person that we're targeting. Um, what's interesting about food though, and I didn't learn this till we were in it and then doing research. It's been a, a problem since the beginning of time, it seems like, is that it's very, very difficult to make it look interesting, right? So meat stick on a white background doesn't look like, <laughs> doesn't look like anything, right? It looks terrible. And that's why every like Mexican restaurant you've ever been to and you see all the pictures of like, the food, you're like, it all looks the same and it doesn't look good, right? Very, very difficult to, to photograph. But, you know, in, in that same uh, vein, like we're, we're taking pictures that are lifestyle. So people that are hiking, people that are doing things that are active, all your like your, you know, your typical like photos that you would expect, right? We're trying to like elicit a feeling of like, oh, I could see myself doing that, right? Is, is Amazon a good place for a food brand, like an independent high quality food brand like yours? You said you're killing it on Amazon and, and, and I know you guys are doing well, but relative to, you talk about how different it is and then you'll talk about the, the need for a lot of lifestyle images and also very targeted advertising. I would guess Facebook and Instagram by extension would let you target really well to those demographics. I'm guessing Amazon's going to be harder to unless you're driving the traffic to Amazon. So is Amazon a great place for an independent food brand like yours? It is. It's, it's a good spot, man. The thing that's different about um, food on Amazon is that they do things very in a very weird way as Amazon always does. It's very frustrating. They, they don't follow first in first out, for example. So something that is like considered just common knowledge in the food industry, right? Like you're not going to put the milk, then like the new milk in the front and the old milk on the back. Like you're not going to do that, right? In the case, Amazon does that all the time. Like they're just going to mix everything together. And so, so you might have someone that gets something that's expired two years ago, oh, even geez. though you're turning inventory like crazy because... Yeah. They're just, I envision them just opening boxes and dumping them in the bin <laughs> on top of the old stuff, right? Like I'm, like I'm pretty dang sure that's what they do, right? But aside from that, man, I mean, Amazon, no matter the category that you're in, like that's where a lot of the eyeballs are, right? And so I think you can do very well there. Now, that being said, Amazon, um, they've got all kinds of programs that are supposed to help you launch your brands there. And I haven't seen anything good come of that. And so... I think like just like any other category, you've got to own your space, you've got to own the marketing, you've got to know your messaging, and you've got to really kind of control as much as you can so that you can learn and iterate and, and kind of innovate in that industry, right? And part of that is, is like whether it's food or whatever you're in, is paying attention to what the, question, the questions that are being asked, what's happening as far as trends in the market. Like we know like keto, paleo, CrossFit, Whole30, like all that stuff's big and has continued to be big. The fact that, you're sugar, that we're sugar-free, like that's a big deal. And paying attention to those things and speaking to those, and whether that's your title or your, you know, your search, your backend keywords or your bullet points, like speaking to that, you know, checklist, image, whatever, we can get in the nitty-gritty if you want. But um, like speaking to those things, it's, I mean, it serves you best. And that's just not just food, Andrew, right? Like that's, that's everyone. Uh, how, how do you think about 
if you think about traditional food, it seems like I was chatting with a, a company last week in the food space, and there was a lot of. It seemed like there's a, a lot more middlemen than I would have expected. So they, you know, they made the product, they sold it to a distributor, who sometimes sold it to a wholesaler, who sold it to the grocery store, who sold it to the person, right? Like you know, so sometimes like three, maybe even four different layers. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that was an exception, but how do you like? Are you just a hundred percent direct to consumer with what you guys do? How have you thought about selling through distributors or wholesale? Like, is it worth the hassle? Because traditionally, that's how a lot of food has been sold, isn't it? So we've thought about this a lot, man. And I, I don't want to dog like you know the fact that you know there's a lot there's a lot of brands that are doing very very well in traditional brick and mortar retail. It just hasn't served my constitution, so to speak. And so, and for the, all the reasons you just said. What's interesting, and I think, I don't know if I want to call it sexy, but it's just like, it's one of these things that it's, it's alluring to say, like, I'm in Whole Foods or we're in Costco or wherever, you know, XYZ retailer, and you have these massive purchase orders that come through, but you hit it on the head. Like, they're, they're massive POs with very slim margins. And I remember talking to a friend very, very in the beginning of Mission Meats, and he had a brand that was in 250 Whole Foods. And I said, man, congratulations. That's amazing. He goes, no, it's not, a, not at all. I said, why is that? He said, because unless I'm in a thousand plus stores, like I'm not making any money because of all these little like death by a thousand cuts, right? Where you got to like pay for demo people and you got to pay for a broker and you've got to like all these different things and it, it erodes your profit margins. And especially if you don't understand those things from the beginning and you don't price your product right and you don't build those into your cost structure, there's not a whole lot of money to be made. And so I just, I like controlling the, the kind of the consumer, the customer experience as much as we can. And we know that Amazon doesn't allow a lot of that. We can, we can do those things as much as we can. And being able to provide a product at the very best product uh, price possible, which once again, if you're going direct to consumer, you can do those things. And so we're not 100% direct consumer. We do have some wholesale. We do have some distribution, but it's not a massive part of our business. And that's been by design. I've got friends that are in all the Whole Foods, Kroger's, you know, it just, it's everywhere. And every time I go down that path and start talking to them about it, it always ends with, nah, I don't want to do that. It's like, it's, there's too much headache there, too much red tape, not a whole lot of control, not a whole lot of margin. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that definitely makes that, that does. What you talk about margins a couple of times in there. What is a traditional margin for, and obviously I'm sure it varies a little bit, but just on average, traditional margin for someone who's selling through the traditional chain. They make it themselves, but they sell through those intermediaries to Whole Foods. What's the margin they end up making on their product versus the margin you potentially could make if you're just selling direct to consumer on the, in the food yeah, industry? I, I think, yeah, I think that that's like a kind of an open-ended question only because it depends on your, depends on the, the channel, that not the channel, but the category that you're in as far as uh, CPG is concerned. You want to be north of 50%. Um, what these guys are taking home after the fact, I don't know because we've never like fully gone down that path, but it's very, very slim. And so you're looking at high volume, low margin, uh, quite a bit of risk there, especially if they're going to, you know, kind of, Know, maybe cancel a PO or not not continue with you. So um, I'd want to be north of fifty percent, and that's for direct to consumer. If in the food industry, I want to be north of fifty percent direct to consumer. Yeah, yeah. Who makes the stuff for you? Like who? How? Give give us a sense of like how you source the meat and how. I'm guessing you were fairly involved in the recipes, but like I'm guessing you're also not making this in the back of back in Nick's <laughs> house, back in Iowa, right? Like hopefully. <laughs> So while he's in his two-piece, it's way too much information. Um, <laughs> give us a sense of how this stuff, how the sausage gets made here for the yeah. bad pun. 
so Nick is a supply chain wizard, and I truly believe, like, truly mean that. Like, this guy is absolutely brilliant. Um, as much crap we've given on the show so far, he's a brilliant guy. And so we're sourcing raw material from really all over the country and all over the world. And so um, we got grass-fed beef that's domestic and also international. Some of the best grass-fed beef in the world is out of Tasmania. And then we've got pork from the Midwest that's antibiotic-free, and we got free-range turkey from the Midwest as well. We also source some beef from the West Coast in some of the Plain States. But, but anyways, and so. We're, we're sourcing that raw material. So there's logistics all over the place as far as like getting that procured, making sure that it's on a cold truck, making sure that it's sitting at our cold storage facility in the Midwest, kind of sitting there and buffering and just kind of staging for when we need it, when we need to pull from it. And then we have four contract manufacturers that we work with all over the country, uh, depending on the product that we're bringing to the end consumer. And the reason we do that is because we like to spread it out. Um, we also like to have kind of diversity in that supply chain, um, just in case there's an issue, but also each co-packer is going to have different capabilities. And so one of them might have a bagging machine that another one doesn't. And so, so it goes through there. And then we've got a uh, finished goods buffer inventory in the Midwest as well, which is where our product stages. And then it'll go out to wherever warehouse that it needs to go to from there. So you guys in-house are coordinating like the shipments of, you know, of an entire, you know, side of beef from wherever it's grown to your mid, to your Midwest storage facilities. Like you guys are in-house dealing with all of those logistics. We're, all of it. Yeah. We, we try to control as much as possible. That's amazing. How do you, and maybe this is Nick's side of things, but how did he, did he have a background in knowing like how much to bid and how much, you know, like volume pricing for, for beef? Like, or did you guys just have to, to learn that on the fly? <laughs> no, he knew all this stuff. And so, so Nick's background is he, he's done a, a he has a lot of experience in supply chain. He's got, he's got an MBA where he kind of focused on a, a lot of the stuff as well. And so he, not only knew how to manage supply chain, but he understood ag and he understood kind of like what going rate was or is on raw material, processing fees, all that sort of stuff. And on top of all this, I didn't even mention, like we're dealing with all the packaging that's done at several different manufacturers and making sure that those are sitting where they need to sit when product goes through production. That's amazing. I feel like, man, I feel like maybe I've been a little too hard on Nick. I feel like I need to like, <laughs> I feel like I maybe need to give him a hug next time I see him and, and apologize for some things. No, you can keep being hard on him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So from a liability, liability perspective, what, what kind of, I mean, anytime you are you know, giving something uh, to people that they're eating, digesting, liability goes way up. So how do you, what kind of certifications do you have to get in your, if you're in the food industry? Is your insurance wildly expensive? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I don't honestly recall the cost because Nick handles that sort of side of things, but it's not it's not as expensive as you would think it would be. I remember when we priced it out, but I don't I honestly don't remember now. Like he's been dealing with that for, since we started. But it's not as expensive as you think, but it is a requirement. I mean, obviously. And then if you're gonna get into any sort of wholesaling to any of the, you know, major companies, they're gonna require that you've got that liability coverage. And if there's someone listening who is, you know, who's thinking about launching their own independent food brand or buying one or getting into the space, obviously, first and foremost, it's got to be taste and a good quality product, right? Like that, you just got to hit that right. Apart from that, what else, what else would you recommend to people they really focus on if they're going to be getting off the, brand, getting off the ground with, uh, with their own independent food brand? I think they've got to have a compelling story, man. I think that because of the, I don't know if you want to use this phrase, but democratization of really not just food, but just like business in general, like it's easier and more difficult at the same time to start a business now than ever before. Like, I mean, you can, you don't need tons of funding or anything like that. Right. And so because of that, there's immense competition in really every single category. And so I think for food specifically, but any other, any other um, category as well, 
Like you really need to focus on the story. There needs to be something compelling. There needs to be a compelling reason why you're in business. Your branding should be on point and you need to have something to tell. Like you need to have that story to tell because otherwise you're just another, you're a me too product in a very crowded category that looks really like a lot of the other products out there. And so I think that for me, and this has always kind of been um, a sticking point. It's like, you kind of got to be interested in what you're doing. So don't just start selling cookies because you think it'd be fun and you can make a lot of money selling cookies, but do it because you're really interested in it and you've got some sort of passion behind it because that's going to shine through. And that's going to, I firmly believe like that's going to keep customers coming back um, on top of the fact that it tastes really good. So you hit it on the head. Like if the product sucks, then you forget about it, but you need to have that plus a compelling story. Yeah. Speaking of compelling stories, talk a little bit about about the mission behind Mission Meets. Like you guys have a pretty cool reason for why you're in business. Dive into that for us. So I said in the beginning that we both had a, the idea, Nick and I, for the same company, right? Which is a mission-focused meets net company. And we actually both had written down separately that the name would be Mission Meets, which was really interesting. Oh. Also the same idea for all oh, same idea for a logo too, which is a whole nother story. But anyways, which is the, the Trinity knot, but so we, we wanted uh, a mission baked into the company from the beginning, which is that we would give back. And now it sounds cliche because everybody does that, right? But we, we wanted to make sure that that was baked into that company from the beginning. And so I have a friend that's done, you know, I don't know, she's, she's taken thousands of people over to Africa and Dominican Republic and Uganda on mission trips. And I talked to her and then her name's Jody. And I said, hey, Jody, I'm starting a food, a food brand and I want to support uh, food related initiatives. And she said, it sucks. I hate it. And I said, okay, tell me more. And she's like, she's like, she's like, she's like, she's like, I hate food initiatives because a lot of times I go into a village and then the village becomes like, like unless there's like famine or war or something like that, um, they just become reliant on it. And then in the end, they're not necessarily much better off than they would have been if you hadn't done it that way. She's like, I'd rather that you support organizations that can teach a man to fish, so to speak. And I said, okay. And she's like, why don't you connect with this one organization? It's called Educate Out of Uganda. And connected with them, and they were our first mission partner. And they take students in high school and college, and they teach them the things they need, to, they need to learn in order to start a business to support themselves, or even better, support themselves and hire some people. And so that has been what has powered most of the partnerships that we've worked with is the organizations that not only help people get lifted up, but then they also help them take care of themselves. And so we've got a women and children's home um, called Perspectives in Minneapolis that we help with organization in um, two, two organizations in Haiti that deal with deforestation. Nick's got a goat breeding project down there. And so there's like all these different organizations that we work with that are not only help them help feed them, but it helps them feed themselves. And so that's been really, really fulfilling. And we've taken the family to walk through some of these organizations. And it's just really humbling to know that we're having, we're playing a small part and that what we're doing, feeding people through Mission Meets, but also feeding, feeding through our philanthropy. And that's been really like kind of the cornerstone of the business since the beginning. That's awesome. And you guys give 10% of all your profits to some kind of cause like this, right? Yeah, at least. Yep. Very cool. And then finally, you got a podcast, came on that kind of, I believe it's called the Live Your Mission podcast, where you're highlighting a lot of people that are doing these kind of things and, and a lot of fun doing that with you. And if people, people can learn about that just at missionmeets.co, right? Along with all of the other mouth-watering snacks we've talked about, maybe some photo shoots of Nick, potentially, if you can. Can you arrange that? Can, I know we were joking about this throughout the whole thing, but can you make this happen? I think we're going to have to make this happen, man. I mean, <laughs> I we've so talked true. about it so much, like we've got to do it, right? Um, he can't grow any chest hair is a problem, but if he can only grow some chest hair, I think then, the chest hair, not, not, not being able to grow chest hair with the two piece is probably a good thing, I would say. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if we're going to go that route, which apparently I did. 
<laughs> so this has really gone sideways. Yeah, you're this, and you were the best guest, man. You're like you were like the most popular guest on the show. I don't believe that, but it was a lot of fun coming on and, and talking, man. It was it was if people can't tell, we're fairly comfortable insulting each other and giving each other a hard time. So that always makes yeah. for a good foundation for a podcast. So check it out, Live Your Mission Podcast. Really funny to have Derek Sivers on recently, which is which is awesome. So yeah. I love your product, man. I, I should have mentioned this at the top, but we gave away some for UCF Live. We've eaten a bunch of them and, and, and they're really good. Yeah. Thank so you, great work on a killer product and doing some cool stuff. Thanks, bro. Thanks, bro. That's all. It's all Nick, man. Yeah, it's just all Nick. <laughs> Making me feel worse here. So that's going to wrap up the food section, e-commerce section. We're going to transition into the uh, to Peter and my kind of quest for sunshine. I feel like we were two kindred souls that met about, I don't know, three, four years ago when, when he was in Iowa getting snowed on. And I was in Montana getting snowed on. And, and we kind of have been on this interesting journey together. And I want to talk about it, partially because it's just interesting, partially because I know there's other people out there who are probably going through it. Anyway, so if that sounds interesting to you, stick around. If not, thanks so much for listening. Peter, what do you remember about that first time we met and we kind of had our little, uh, our little uh, chase the sun connection? It was, it was weird, man, because I was so, I, we were visiting here and I go down to San Clemente to, you know, some pizza place and, and meet up and I didn't know you were even going to be there and we hadn't met before. And so we're talking and then you're like, oh yeah, I'm visiting from somewhere cold too. And then it just kept happening. Like you too, you too, you too, you too, like kept happening. I'm like, dude, am I, are we related? Like what's going on here? I just thought it was uncanny that we both were kind of like chasing the same thing, which was trying to figure out how to reconcile the fact that we, I, I love the Midwest, but at the same time, it's like, I can't stand the weather. And I'd like to like be surrounded by a different environment. And I like, you know, variety and stuff like that. And so it was kind of uncanny. Yeah. And so we're both talking about it. And I mean, at that point, we probably were, because right now, as of now, you've moved from Iowa, you moved to Florida, that didn't work for a bunch of reasons. And then you decided to move out to California. And so you right now, you're in Dana Point. I moved from Bozeman down to, to Tucson with my family. And yeah, it was, I probably took us like two to three years to work through this and, and check up with each other and everything. And, and I guess maybe we can get right to the punchline here is, is was it, for, for, for both of us, a big part of it too was also like being able to be outside. We're both, uh, I'll speak for myself. I'm solar powered. I love the sun. I do much better uh, mentally when I have lots of good sunshine. I, I think at least some of those things, uh, being outside for you is a big part of it. So, and the ocean was a big part of it. And I think a lot of times people can, the grass is always greener, right? Like it's easy to be somewhere and be like, oh, I'd only be happy if this, or like, I don't, you know, if you, you, you can tell these stories for yourselves and create these utopias just across the next state line or whatever it happens to be. So how long have you been in California? And like, what are, what's been, you know, what's been the experience like, maybe the good and the bad. And, but ultimately like, are you glad you made, you pulled the trigger? Like, has it actually been the change that you hoped it would be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been that and more for sure. But I guess one of the things I want to touch on, I think is critically important is that if you're thinking of, like for the listener that's thinking about like, hey, yeah, I'd like to make a move, like a geographic change, but they're not really sure. And it feels kind of painful. It, well, it, it will be painful, right? Um, and there were, there were times where, you know, Melissa and I were arguing and she's like, I don't want to do it anymore, you know? But I just felt like in my heart, like this is what we need to do. This is the direction that we need to go. And it's it's been the right one, right? But it's it's one of these things where, it is so painful, man, especially if you've lived somewhere for a long time. We lived there for 12 years. And so just like uprooting, we have four kids, right? It's like not like a super lightweight move. It's difficult. And so if you feel like moving should be easy or change of change of scenery should be pretty mm -hmm. easy or, or it's not meant to be, you're mm -hmm. wrong. You can, and you can speak to this too, Andrew, but it's, it's, it is very, very difficult 
obscene amount of clarity on the fact that we needed to move. But with that said, I'm all about the MVP, like all about testing. And so if you have an inkling of where you want to go, go try it out. And I say that because we have some friends that decided that they were like, man, we want to move to Hawaii for a long time. This is where we're supposed to go. They sold everything. They sold the house. They sold the cars. Three kids, they flew out over there and they realized about eight weeks in, it was not the right place for them. And all I can think of was like, you know, you, there's there's a thing called VRBO, right? There's, there's a thing <laughs> called Airbnb. Like, you don't have to do that, right? Like, go rent for a while. Like, what's the matter with you, right? Like, I was just like, I want to shake them, right? Like, dude, so if you're listening and you want to try something, man, you're like, you feel like you got a really good idea, go try it on, right? And you might find that you don't like it. Also, that said, though, there is like a warm up time. You got to make sure you feel it out. You got to give it enough time. So I like to, especially because we're e-commerce people, like you can, you know, work from anywhere. Give it a month. Like I think, you know, four or five weeks, like give it some time to kind of settle in. Yeah, totally agreed. It, it, it's super painful, you know, moving the moving process. It takes a ton of time and energy and it's scary too, right? Like, especially like we were in Montana for, yeah, I mean, almost 15 years. And yeah, it's just, it's a big deal. You're leaving support system behind. And, but I think one great exercise for it is to think through like, if I could snap my fingers now and I didn't have to deal with any of those transaction costs, but just things would change, would you do it? And if the answer is yes, or at least the answer is, I think so, I'm going to go, I should go test it out. That's a really good encouraging sign because a lot of that pain, like I went through that, you guys went through that, like you said, but, but it's totally worth it. And, I, and it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing how the human brain can forget pain. Like you remember you went through it, but there's an amazing way, maybe there's some people listening like that. No way. I, I remember this stuff super clearly, but at least for a lot of people, myself, uh, the hard work and a lot of pain, like, you know, you went through it, but it's not quite, it's the brain kind of pushes it away a little bit and it's not quite, it's a little easier to forget. So I don't know. For me, that's always been a, a good way to think through things as a framework. Like if I could just change it and didn't have to go through the, tra- through the transaction costs, would it be worth it? And if the answer is yes, I think it's a good thing to move forward with. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. So you're loving California. Why California? Why do you pick California? Well, I mean, so I was a Florida boy living in Iowa, right? And so winter to me was always very hard. So we were spending time in Florida because I've got a lot of family there. We spent time in the Cayman Islands. I had family there. And then we did a bunch of road tripping where we, we did a 10-month trip and an 11-month trip where we would spend time in, in different locations. And so we spent some time in Arizona, spent some time in San Diego, some time up here, a lot of time on the road, checked out Colorado. And I just always just felt called back to California, man. Like I just, I loved it. And so it wasn't because we didn't test, but it was just a place that just like, you know, it, I, like I said, you said you're solar powered. Like I love the sun. I love the, like the big expanse of water. I love the bluffs and stuff like that here, the mountains here. And so it just, it felt like it suited us. Yeah. And what has been, one of the things that, that when we were talking about, cause we thought about California as well too, pretty strongly two big things for, for both of us, I think, where you think about the business environment in California, and you also think about the cost of living in California. Both of those, expensive to live there, probably not the most business-friendly state in the nation. How has that been for you, like being on the ground, actually having moved? Your thoughts on that now? Yeah. Yeah. It's been good so far, but ask me again in a year. <laughs> right? Like we've been here nine months now, and it's been, you know, that, that aspect of it's been really, really great. We're still predominantly Midwest company, you know, ask me, ask me again in a year and let's see after all this wears off, kind of like how I'm feeling about that. But so far, man, it's been awesome. 
Very cool. Um, no, I think I think it was Noah Kagan that said like you pay you pay a weather tax here, right? And I like oh, thinking about it that way. You know, a hundred percent. You pay weather tax and a beach tax. Yeah, you moved away from family as did we kind of crazy people would be like, Oh, did you know anyone in Tucson? Like your family, friends here and, and definitely no family. I, 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 one or two people I knew, but more or less, it was just kind of a cold move here because we loved the place. How has it been, especially with kids being so far away from family? That's hard, man. I think not having support is very difficult. Lack of familiarity when it comes to kind of like family connections is not to be understated. It's, it's, that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had already spent, you know, uh, I think it was four different winters here before we moved here. And so we had a strong church connection. We had a lot of friends here, even possibly more friends here than we did in Iowa, which is kind of crazy. And so that helped a lot. So I think that, you know, as far as moving, and I don't know how it was for you, Andrew, but having familiar faces, even if it's just a couple of families or even just one family, it does wonders um, because you kind of have a welcoming committee and you've got some reference point. But not having family to lean on. Now that said, um, Melissa's sister now lives in LA, so she's, you know, an hour on a good day, three hours on a bad day for, uh, uh, you know, drive away. But got a little bit to lean on now. That's 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 difficult, man. I mean, I won't even I won't sugarcoat it. I think that makes it really hard because when you have family, especially when you have kids, and not being able to trust someone to leave your kids with for an overnight, that that's hard. You must you must love your kids more than we do because we we definitely leave our kids with overnight people having moved here a year and a half ago. <laughs> so you, you yeah exactly you win the, the better parent award here. When we moved down, yeah, because it's it's hard it's hard being away from family like that, and you don't get to see them. Obviously, there's just that connection, but also like if you've got young kids, help out with with, with that. And we just from the outset kind of made the decision like, hey, we're just if we're going to do this, we're going to plan on. I'm just having a lot more like allocating more money to childcare so that we don't, you know, so we get time with each other and time away. And so just going in, we, we, we planned on that, but yeah, it's, it's tough. Anything else before we wrap up, put a bow on this, anything else you'd want to share with people thinking about making it, making a move. Cause I remember, man, you and I were there, we were sitting there and like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a grueling decision because especially if you have a family, if you're married and especially if you have a family, it gets the more people involved, the harder it is because you're not just impacting obviously your life, but you're uprooting, you know, all these other people's lives. Grandparents are, you know, I was, I was not son-in-law of the year when we moved from Montana, right? Yeah. It's hard to do. So any other thoughts or advice you'd give to people thinking about something like this? I mean, I think just like the MVP example is a huge one. I think really sitting with it and not making rash decisions is really, really important as well. You know, we're, we're lucky to have a strong faith. And so we did a lot of prayer. We count, we did, you know, seeked a lot of counsel and spoke to a lot of people about it too. And you're right, man. I mean, you know, the one thing I always joked about, which is, you know, is, was very true for me is like, I didn't want to look back and have our kids be like, yep, that's when dad screwed it all up. You know, like <laughs> that's, you know, we were, we were living totally fine lives and he had to make us move and that sucked, you know, like I don't want it to be the in- inflection point in that way. That was really, really difficult. And because of that, I mean, the t- from the time I wanted to move to the time we actually, you know, decided to sell the house was about four years. And so we didn't take it lightly. We really, really thought about it. I thought about kind of how I wanted my kids to grow up and where I wanted them to grow up and stuff like that. And so um, those had all had kind of implications. And then just knowing like, yeah, we're gonna have to say goodbye to people. And it's not because of them. It's because we feel like we're call to a different space. And so I don't know how inspiring or depressing that whole statement was, but it's, it's not easy, man. I don't think there's any way around it. And you also kind of labored about it. You know, you thought about it a lot too. 
Oh yeah. I mean, for, for years, probably not quite four, but at least two, two and a half. And for me, it was interesting. I, I was, the thing that, that really pushed me over the edge, or at least was a big contributor was this idea of, I really don't want 20 years to go by and say, man, I really wish I would have given this a shot. You know, like mm-hmm. that, that whole idea of, you know, you regret what you don't try. Cause I, I really wanted to, and I was, it was fear there. And so I didn't want that to happen. And I, on the flip side, I also thought, you know, if we go down and like you said, we could do this in a way where when we came down here, we kept our house in Montana, we rented in, in, in Tucson, tried to, you know, if we wanted to be able to flip that back, it's going to be easier to do. And so we did that to give us the ability to flip. And I figured, you know, if, if we go down for a year and it doesn't work, it's, it's a little work, it's pain, it's, 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 a, it's a move or two, but like, it's not the end of the world and we can come back to where we are and recreate that. But I at least wanted to give it a try. So for me, that was one of the things that gave me a little bit of comfort in saying that, hey, you know, this is scary, but, but at least it's not completely irreversible. So yeah, exactly. It's totally reversible. Yep. Yeah. So I agree, man. So glad you're in a place you love making amazingly delicious meat sacks, meat steaks with a guy that, man, his, 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 his you know, reputational capital is climbing by the, by the podcast episode here. We'll have to do this again for Mr. Nick. So That's right. We'll have him on next time. Uh, we will with, with, with results from the photo shoot. So thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Check out missionmeats.co as well as uh, the Live Your Mission podcast. Always good talking, my friend. Thanks, brother. Likewise. That's going to do it for this week. Again, a big thank you to the team at Clavio for making the show possible. The best place to send highly segmented messages by email and SMS to your customers to make more money. You can learn more about them and get started at clavio.com forward slash ECF. And also brought to you by the e-commerce fuel private community, a vetted form and review directory of a thousand plus in the trenches, experienced store owners that you can connect with to help grow your business. If you want to learn more about that and apply for membership, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening. Work hard and adventure often and looking forward to seeing you again next Friday. This is the ASY Radio Network Live from New York.